invite you to take a Bible and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. It's on page 968. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. At the end of the service today, during the closing hymn, uh, for our members, we have a time of what we call covenant renewal uh, when we turn in pledge cards representing our our commitment to the generosity we plan to show this ministry over the next year. I'll say more about it later. Before I read from uh, 2 Corinthians 9, though, I want to mention, if you were not here last week, I, I made reference to a book that I'm reading called the, the Autobiography of the Pioneer Missionary to the New Hebrides, John G. Patton. This was his autobiography written in the late 1800s and like many of you, I've read a lot of missionary biographies and biographies of Christian leaders from the past, but uh, this one really is in a class of its own. It's really a book about prayer. It's a book about courage. It's a book about missions. It's a book about radical conversion. Uh, it's a book about uh, the spread of the gospel to this chain of 80 islands uh, that are between Hawaii and Australia. And it's just an exciting story. But I'm within 70 pages of finishing. It's about 500 pages long, and I'll read a chapter each morning. And so this week I went and I listened to John Piper's biographical message again of, of John Patton, which all came from this book. This is the book he references at the beginning. And I know many of you listened to those biographical messages off the website of Desiring God. But if not, you are missing one of the uh, greatest blessings that you could have is to listen to some of these biographical messages. For 30-plus years at his annual pastor's conference that I've attended a number of times in Minneapolis, John Piper brings a 75-minute message about one person from church history, sometimes from ancient church history, sometimes from more recent church history. And so now there are 30-plus of those, all free, all on the Desiring God website. You can listen to them. You can download the transcript, or you can, uh, newer ones, you can watch the video. They're free. And the one on Patton, if you've not listened to any, start there. Reflections on the life of John G. Patton, subtitle, You Will Be Eaten by Cannibals because that is what he was told by everyone that opposed him in the church and out of the church before he, he left, everyone except his parents. Isn't that interesting? His parents said, we dedicated you to the Lord's work long ago, and we have prayed that you would go somewhere and take the gospel. Uh, so uh, I'd urge you, my wife has probably listened to every one of those biographical messages three to five times. It's not unusual, and I know I'm embarrassing her now, but uh, so be it. Uh, it's not unusual that I'll be preparing for a sermon, and she'll say, you need to hear what Piper said about J. Gresham Machen and his biographical message about halfway through when he said this. That will fit in the sermon. And so uh, uh, that, those have been a treat to listen to. All right, enough on that. Let's get to the text, 2 Corinthians 9. This is, the, this is the premier passage in the New Testament that deals with the area of giving and motives in giving and being generous. Of all the passages that there are, this is the kind of the premier passage we always go back to. And I'm going to read it, then I'll tell you more about the context after I read verses 6 to 15. Hear God's word. The point is this, 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Let's pray together. Lord, we, uh, we need instruction and we need guidance and um, understanding about money and giving, and it's very difficult, especially at times. So we pray that you might help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, this, sent, this church sent me to visit several of our missionaries that we support in Eastern Europe. And I went with a team of four other pastors. We visited several countries, Poland, the Ukraine, Romania, Austria. And in advance of that trip, the person leading us uh, encouraged us to read some books to give us a better understanding of some of the places we were going to visit. In preparation for visiting Poland, we were to read Schindler's List. And at the end of the book, and it was somewhat depicted well in the movie if you saw that, there is a heart-wrenching scene in which the main character, Oscar Schindler, uh, this man in Poland who had paid out a personal fortune to spare the lives of many Jews from the Nazis. At the end, he is looking at his car and his gold pen and some other things he still had, and he is overcome with remorse and regret that he had not given more of his money and possessions to save more lives. Now, Schindler had done far more and used his opportunities far better than most, but in the end, he longed, at least according to the book, he longed to go back and to make better choices, to do it again. Now, there was no Christian message in that book. There are plenty of Christian values in the book, but one truth is that we have one brief lifetime to use our treasures to make an eternal difference. And that's why people like John Wesley said, I judge all things only by the price they shall gain in eternity. The great athlete from England who turned missionary, C.T. Studd, said only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. I wrote down long ago what someone said, that five minutes after you and I die, 
we will know exactly how we should have lived. But the good news is we don't have to wait until that time because God has given us his word and his instruction and he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us to live that way now. Jesus said we should not lay up treasure on earth but in heaven. And so when we leave this world, when you leave this world, whether this week or next week or a decade from now or a long, long time from now, will you be known as one who accumulated treasures on earth that you could not keep? Or will you be recognized by the Lord as one who invested treasures in heaven that you could not lose? So let's look at this premier passage that gives us some guidelines, very practical guidelines about the whole subject of grace giving. The background is this. The Apostle Paul was called to be a missionary to the Gentile world, to the non-Jewish world. He's the greatest church planter that, that history has ever known. And he planted churches all around the Mediterranean. What I mean by that is he went in and from scratch he evangelized, he preached the gospel, he saw people converted, and then he organized those churches with elders and deacons and so forth and pastors, and then he moved on. In that work, he made three trips around the Mediterranean, around parts of the Mediterranean. And the trips would be either to plant new churches or to go back and see how churches that were previously planted were doing. Were they healthy? Did he, were there things, more training that was needed? Was there heresy that needed to be corrected? Now, on his third missionary journey, he was taking up a special relief offering for some Christians back in Judea, to the east in Judea, who were suffering greatly. I'm not sure the source of that, whether it was famine, whether it was from persecution, but they were in dire straits. And they needed help financially for the necessities of life, for food and shelter and so forth. So part of his project on this third trip, he'd given notice to these churches that he would be taking up a relief offering from them or if they would send it to these Christians back in Judea. And the church in Corinth had promised to do so, but they not kept their promise. And a year had passed. And they'd not sent the offering that they had said that they would. And so these words were written to them about that. That they're in arrears, you might say, on the offering that they had promised to help with the relief for the church in Judea. And he says that the cause, the cause for this lack of generosity among them has to do with their spiritual maturity. It has to do not so much with their finances, but with where they are spiritually. And so he gives some general principles that apply to them and to us about the whole subject of generosity and giving and, um, and how God uses that in the lives of the giver and in the lives of those who receive those gifts. And essentially he is saying the generous person receives in return gifts that are out of proportion to their own. Now, this is emphasized through the scriptures, especially in Proverbs. The first verse I was ever taught about giving came from the book of Proverbs. When I was in high school, I was shown Proverbs 11.25. And in the New American Standard Version, it reads, The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. 
Now, what made an impression on me, why I always remember that as the first verse I saw on giving, was that I walked into my youth director, the church where I went, my youth director's little office, and he liked to draw out verses. I mean, literally, to sketch them out. And I remember he had an eight and a half, 11 by 11 sheet of paper, and he had drawn this hand coming out of heaven with this watering can pouring water on this person who was watering something else. So when Proverbs says, the generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters, he who gives out to others, will himself be watered by the Lord. That's what it's saying. It's a very simple principle. Jesus reemphasized such things in the Gospel of Luke and throughout the, New, the Gospels when he said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. We're not talking about give God $5 and he promises to double your return and give you $10. That's not what is in mind here really at all. What Paul is saying, though, is that we stand to gain by our giving. We stand to gain spiritual insight. We stand to gain blessings from God. And so grace giving, you might say, is the outcome of receiving God's grace. It's saying, having received God's grace, I want to give back to God and his work so that others may receive that grace as well. Now, some of us here are in a, there are about nine or ten out of us guys that we're in a Wednesday night small group here at the church. And we've been together for a few years, most of us. And this past week, we looked at this passage, and I said, why do you give? And I don't remember who said it, but one of the guys said this, and I wrote it down. Because my giving is a tangible expression of gratitude and thankfulness to God. I thought that was well put. It is a tangible expression of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. Well, let's look at some of the principles from the text. I'm going to do a brief flyover. We don't have time to to go into all of the things he says here, but he begins in verse 6 with the, the, the principle of sowing and reaping. Uh, the point is this, he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He's talking there about giving, and he's comparing giving to taking seed, and here the, the farmer looks out at his fields, there's no crops. And he says, I need to go prepare the fields. He doesn't just sit there and complain, he goes out, and he, he prepares the field and he sows seed. And then he reaps accordingly. In other words, if he only sows seed on one acre, he doesn't expect to get a harvest off two acres. If he sows seed on five acres, he doesn't expect to get a harvest from eight acres. The sowing and the reaping go together. The reaping is proportional to the sowing. And that's the principle Paul puts before us here with our giving. We always reap in proportion to what we sow. The amount of sowing determines the amount of the harvest. And he's using that for giving, saying, I want you to give. Give to help these Christian brothers and sisters back in Judea. And as you do, you'll receive blessings proportional from that. Secondly, in verse 7, he talks about the attitude of how to give. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So that he wasn't sending out bills to these people, invoices, saying you owe this amount. He's saying our motives in our giving are very, very important. 
It must come from the heart. And the motive in the heart must be to please God. So he says the negative, don't give reluctantly, not because, uh, don't give uh, reluctantly. You have to part with it. I'd really rather not be giving, but I guess I have to, or what will somebody think about me, or what might God do to me? You know, he'll punish me in some way if I don't give, as though God's got a gun to your head, forcing you to cough it up. Or he says, don't give under compulsion. That is, worried about what others may think. He says both of these attitudes rob giving of its, of its beauty and of its joy, if those are the motivations behind it. So it's proper to ask ourselves, ask yourself this morning, if you are a generous giver, if you give to God's work through this church or elsewhere, are you cheerful? Or do you, do you resent it? Uh, do you enjoy giving, uh, especially anonymously, where there's no credit, there's no plaque on a wall, no recognition, but you know that it's met a need or it's expanded God's kingdom? He says positively, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, but positively, as he has decided in his heart. We have to decide. You have to decide as an act of faith. We mature in the Christian life just as a new believer begins to mature in prayer and in understanding God's Word and knowing how to read and study God's Word and how to witness to other people and share their faith with other people, how to minister to other people. So giving is an area that we mature in. And all of us here have room for growth, that we would be very mature and sensitive in how we give and how much we give and, and for what we give. So we should be encouraged that there will be progress. So what are some helps toward cheerful giving? Well, we'll become cheerful givers by realizing that generous giving helps us to experience God's love. When he says God loves a cheerful giver, we imitate God at this point. God is a giving God. We reflect his character when we give. And in some way it brings pleasure to God by giving cheerfully. I don't understand it. I don't understand how that can be. But in some way it does, I guess because it mimics himself. Last week when Jim Hellyer gave his testimony from up here about giving. He talked about being an usher and watching children when he was when he was much younger, watching parents give children money to put into the offering plate as it came by. And his initial reaction was, well that's not teaching them about giving. You're just giving them the money and then they're giving it there. And then he realized, like many of us have realized, no, that's a perfect picture of giving. Our father gives us the money, then we give. He gives us, we give. We're just a conduit. We're just a funnel, you might say, through which God reaches the needs of other, other people. Secondly, you will be more cheerful giving in your giving by realizing that generous giving opens the windows of God's blessing. Look at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Notice the word all. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So Paul is reassuring these skeptical Christians in Corinth that God will bless them with more than they give out. And that's a key area for many of us. Can I trust God to take care of me and meet my needs if I give? Like what John David said earlier. If I give generously to others, can I trust God to do that? Now, one of the, I told you this is probably the premier passage in the New Testament about generous giving. But one of the premier examples happens in the Gospels at the temple. 
when Jesus and his disciples are watching people come up to make offerings, and the way the temple was laid out, there was a certain court, and it had these funnel-shaped metal trumpet-type things, and you would bring your offerings. They basically were designated gifts. You could give toward this, give toward that. And since they were metal, and the offerings were metal, a large offering made a lot of money. You know, you drop it in and look around, make sure everybody saw who you know, boy, look how much he gave or she gave. And this widow comes up with these two small coins, basically worthless by today's standards, less, worth less than a penny. She drops those in, and Jesus then says to the disciples, she put in more than all the wealthy people because she put in everything she had. Now, I can promise you, those of us here that have moms that are widows, how would you feel about her give, emptying her bank account and giving it away? I'd be the first to say, I don't think that's too smart. God wants us to be responsible. You're giving up everything, but Christ compliments her. Why? Because he could read her heart. And she was doing it as an act of faith. She knew that God had promised to take care of the widow, to be a father to the orphan and a husband to the widow. So it wasn't an act of irresponsibility like someone that says, well, I'll just give away everything I have. You know, it was, I'm going to give it because I know that God's going to take care of me. So that's what Paul is saying. As we give, we have this confidence, this trust that God is able to make all these things, all sufficiency at all times, we may abound in all good works. So all our resources ultimately come from God, and he's able to increase those resources. We'll be cheerful giving, according to verse 10, as we realize that generous giving brings about spiritual blessings to the giver. As I, as I just read that, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He'll give you more to give as you give. We'll increase the harvest of your righteousness. He will supply seed and bread and enlarge that. Before going to a graduate school, to seminary, uh, Barbara and I had only been married uh, about a year or so, and we, money was going to be extremely tight. And we were headed off, and I sat down and talked to my father. He wanted to know what my plans were and to, to pay for it and so forth. And I told him, well, Barbara's going to work. Uh, I'm going to work part-time and going to be going to school full-time. And, and uh, he could tell I was quite worried, and he just sat there and he listened for a long time. And then he said, aren't you forgetting something? And I went like, what? And he said, you've got me. I'm there to help. If you need help, I can help you financially. And sometimes when I worry and fret over things, figuratively speaking, I wonder if God sometimes doesn't say, aren't you forgetting something? You've got me. I will take care of you. That's what Paul is reaffirming here, so that we can give generously. So when we get extra money, an extra $10 or $100 or more, $1,000, uh, we ought to ask, why has God given this to me? And rather than make the immediate assumption it's for me to spend on my pleasure or our family's pleasure, do I seek his will uh, or just immediately assume it's for my to spend as I please? Uh, and I think we, we need to try to pray that God would build in us a predisposition to give, a default setting that I assume I'm going to give this unless I have clarity that I shouldn't. I told you years ago, 
of something that happened to me. My son-in-law had a car to sell, and he and our daughter moved to Colorado, and I said, leave it here, and I'll sell it. And and I paid him for it. It's a piece of junk, to put it lightly. And so I put it in Craigslist, and after two weeks, the $900 car had not sold. And I'm I'm sitting, uh, preparing a sermon on giving, and I'm on a Saturday morning, and I just thought, what if the car sells? What should we do with the money? And some of us had just returned from Cuba and seen mission works down there, and there was a very vibrant athletic ministry by the Cubans where baseball teams, it's kind of like athletes in action here in America, they would, baseball's so big there, they would, these Christian teams would go and play in other cities, and then they would give their testimonies like in between innings and things like that. And it cost $1,500 a year at that time to supply the, all the equipment that was needed and the travel money and so forth. So I thought, well, i tell you what. Lord, if you'll cause that car to sell, I'll take the $900 and I'll give it toward one of those baseball teams. You know. It, so two hours later, the car has sold and I'm looking at nine $100 bills on my desk. And suddenly, guess what I'm thinking? Man, I could use that to do this or this. And Cuba was the last thing on my mind. But I thought, no, that was, that was what you determined to do, and that's what you're going to do. The next day I mentioned that in passing in a sermon, and some, <laughs> someone leaving the church that day with a smile on their face walked up and just said, here, they handed me a check, said support the whole team, they gave me a check for $600. So we sent the $1,500 to the ministry that did the baseball teams. Here's my point, if you wondered if there was one. If you're young here today, if you're younger, relatively speaking, you need, if you hadn't already, you need to decide now about giving before you have it. It's almost like once you have it, it's kind of late. And much to your surprise, the day may come that God may entrust into your care large sums of money, far larger than you can imagine right now, through some way that you don't even know. You need to sink deep peers now as to what are you going to live on? Am I going to cap my standard of living and then anything beyond that I'm going to give? Or, and I can tell you as a pastor, one of the areas of marriage conflict that I come across is when couples have either become believers, they weren't believers when they got married, one becomes a Christian, and there is no unity in the area of giving. And they are often they're like this, or one says, I want to tithe, but my husband or my wife doesn't believe in that, and I'm doing it behind their back, and I say, stop. Do not do that. You've got to pray about this, and you go before, but you're, you know. Anyway, decide now. I'd say make those decisions in advance. Now's the time to develop convictions in the area of generosity. Last of all, what I want to mention is in verses 11 and 12, and this is the most exciting thing to me of the whole thing. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints. In other words, this gift you're giving is not only helping to meet their needs, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. 
They will, it goes on by their approval of this service. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and all the others and so forth. What he's saying is your giving has caused praise to go up to God. John Piper's whole book on missions is about that. The goal of missions is to increase worshipers. So it's like when we give this money, or like back to the baseball team, $1,500 to support this evangelistic baseball team, the goal is not to have an evangelistic baseball team, it's to increase worshipers so that praise goes up to God. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, look beyond the, the need that's met by the gift, food, clothing, shelter, look to what happens. They're going to praise God through that. I've said before, if you are a Christian here today, it is most likely because somebody somewhere at some time gave some money. And they pay, helped pay the salary of that person that maybe shared the gospel with you, or they paid for the books that was given to you and you read and you saw the truth of, the, of Christ for the first time, or they helped pay the utility bill in this, by their giving in this building and you heard the gospel for the first time, or they re- recall and responded uh, when we give, it's encouraging to have that perspective. Some few years ago, we, some people here in the church gave $80,000 through our missions fund uh, to have a Bible printed in the language of, called the Shilluk language in southern Sudan. $80,000. The, the translation had been done, but they didn't have the money. The organization did not have the money to uh, have it printed and bound, which had to be done in South Korea. So they needed $80,000. And we gave them $80,000. And then I saw the video that was produced later when they were there to present the Bibles to these people. So I did some research. The language, uh, the Shilluk language at that time, just a few years ago, was spoken by 175,000 people. So the 80,000, plus all the other that went into the missionary, the Wycliffe Bible Translators' work, you know, of translating, produced now hopefully believers and worshipers out of that 175,000 that would have the Bible in their own language and I look forward to meeting some of those in heaven that could say I'm a believer because some people in Macon, Georgia gave some money to have these Bibles found and I could read it in my own language. I've only got about an hour's worth of material left. I've got three minutes. I want to give just a word to non-givers. If you lack the desire to give, it, it's likely because you're not experiencing the grace of God in your own life. You know, we talk about the, the action beneath the action, that Scripture says if we're unwilling to forgive another person, essentially it's because we've not experienced God's forgiveness. It, it's, it's usually pretty simple. And if we're not experiencing the grace of God, the transforming grace of God in our life each day, we won't have a heart to be generous givers. So if that could be the case, if I'm speaking to anyone here uh, that, that say, that, that's me, that, that's me, then my prayer for you and my uh, imperative view would be to trust Christ, to rely on his grace, to lean upon him, to put your faith in Christ as your redeemer, and to ask God the Holy Spirit each day to fill you that you would experience his transforming grace on a daily basis. And I can promise you, I mean, I think it's indeed, generous giving becomes very easy once that happens. It's almost like a natural reflex. 
when we are experiencing God's grace on a, on a constant basis. Uh, in just a moment, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray, and then we're going to uh, stand and sing some verses from the Church's One Foundation. And for our members, I think I've got, well, you have a commitment card. I thought I had, you should have one, or you find them in the hymnal racks. There's a box here, here, or here. And while we're singing, if you would just come and put those in, in those envelopes, uh, we'd be grateful. Let me lead us in prayer. Uh, Father, we pray for several things, that you'd help us to live with a sense of brevity of life, that you'd help us to live with a sense of laying up treasures in heaven, that you'd give us wisdom to look beyond just things on the surface and what the world tells us is all important and what we can accumulate. We pray for to be mature in our giving and to have generous hearts that grow in generosity like that of the Savior's. In his name we pray. Amen.